federal regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad to be with you. Glad to be in studio today and uh, ready to talk about New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, which I got to tell you, we haven't even had oral arguments yet, but uh, already it has been a very revealing look at the anti-gun attitudes of some perhaps surprising organizations. Uh, at BearingArms.com yesterday, we talked about the American Medical Association coming out in defense of uh, New York's restrictive and subjective carry laws, because apparently, uh, according to the American Medical Association, it's, you know, the 20 one and a half million concealed carry holders that are driving violent crime in this country, right? Well, today we're going to take a look at another amicus brief that has been filed in support of the state of New York uh, in this case. And this particular amicus brief comes from a human rights organization mm -hmm, that is arguing against the human right of self-defense. Yeah, I know. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Before we do, however, do you miss President Trump? Well, if you do, you're not alone. And I'm coming to you with a very special offer that you do not want to miss. Now is your chance to win one of six signed photos of President Trump. These were hand-signed by President Trump himself. And soon, one can be hanging up in your home. When President Trump signed these photos, he wanted to make sure that all of his supporters had the chance to receive one. And now's your chance. All you have to do is text GUNS to 55404 today for your chance to win a beautiful photo of President Trump with First Lady Melania Trump, hand-signed by President Trump himself. And by texting G-U-N-S to 55404 right now, you'll also get exclusive double-entry activation for a limited time. Again, text GUNS to 55404 to have your name entered twice to win a hand-signed Trump photo. Don't want to miss this contest in soon. Paid for by the National Republican Senatorial Committee. All right, so uh, let's talk about this human rights organization that says the uh, human right of self-defense does not exist. We're talking about Amnesty International. And uh, over at Reason.com, the Vala Conspiracy, uh, Dave Kopel, who's the research director of the Independence Institute, an attorney himself, Second Amendment scholar, uh, and a, a guy who has had a hand in uh, several pro-Second Amendment amicus briefs, including uh, a couple of amicus briefs uh, filed in uh, defense of the plaintiffs. Uh, and in opposition to New York's carry laws, he's taken a look at Amnesty International's brief, and I'm glad that he does. And I got to tell you, I'm I'm really really glad that Dave Copel delves into uh, a little bit of the history of Amnesty International, because for a time, Amnesty International actually did hold the view that uh, yeah, people have the right to defend themselves, but uh, the organization took a sharp left turn. Uh, several decades ago, and now they're actually arguing uh, in their amicus brief to the Supreme Court that international law should trump our Bill of Rights, and the Supreme Court should declare that there is no right to carry a firearm in self-defense. Now, again, this is the official position of Amnesty International, but it's 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 not necessarily a new one. Sixteen years ago. Do you remember the Darfur crisis in Sudan and the Civil War and the, the, the Darfur genocide? I mean, you had uh, an attempt uh, to uh, a, a murder 
and exterminate uh, the uh, population in uh, Darfur. And back in 2005, the Pittsburgh Tribune Review asked uh, Trish Katyoka, who is the director of African advocacy for Amnesty International, whether or not the Darfur victims should be armed. Because again, this was a, a genocide. They were being slaughtered. And she said, quote, we at Amnesty International are not going to condone escalation of the flow of arms to the region. Indeed, she said, you are empowering the victims to create an element of retaliation. Whenever you create a sword fight by letting the poor people fight back and give them arms, it creates an added element of complexity. You do not know what the results will be. And some, she said, fighting fire with fire is not the solution to genocide. It is a dangerous proposition to arm the minorities to fight back. I got to tell you, I remember when that column came out by uh, Dimitri Vasilos at the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. I remember reading it for the very first time, and I remember my jaw dropping. And even today, 16 years later, I get pissed off when I see those comments. Well, you know, yeah, we know that people are being slaughtered. But boy, it would be worse if they could fight back, wouldn't it? Because then it would, what would it, uh, it, it creates an added element of complexity. Whenever you create a sword fight by letting the poor people fight back and give them arms, it creates an added element of complexity. When people are being slaughtered, I don't want the simple solution. When people are being murdered, we should add a layer of complexity. People have the human right of self-defense. This isn't even a human right. This is a natural right. Animals in nature have the right of self-defense. Human beings? Oh, we definitely have the right of self-defense. Not only in the laws of nature, but again, inherent in our right to keep and bear arms. Because as the Supreme Court has said, the core purpose of the Second Amendment is, in fact, self-defense. But that's not the way Amnesty International sees it. It doesn't matter how many criminals might have guns. It doesn't matter how violent society might be. If you are allowed to protect yourself, if you are allowed to defend your family, Amnesty International says that's a violation of human rights for you to be able to ensure that your family is not the victim of violent crime. As Dave Copel says, Amer uh, Amnesty International's position conflates self-defense against murder with retaliation, which is revenge after the fact. It is true, he adds, that armed victims might add complexity to a situation, especially for attackers who are used to straightforwardly murdering helpless victims. When the victims are unarmed, you do know what the results will be. The victims will be exterminated. Adding complexity to avoid certain mass murders is a life-saving choice. Indeed it is. But again, to Amnesty International, it's a violation of human rights. So they uh, base their argument, and it's a pretty poor argument, according to Dave Koppel, uh, uh, on, on a couple of uh, theories. Uh, one, that the judicial interpretation... Uh, of the Constitution uh, must be uh, subordinate um, 
to the uh, international law, right? To the canon of international law, our constitution, our bill of rights, our jurisprudence, all of that must take a backseat to what international law says. As Kobo writes, the argument is an extravagant extrapolation of a longstanding rule of statutory interpretation called the Charming Betsy Canon. Goes back to 1804, the U.S. Supreme Court case Murray versus Schooner Charming Betsy, in which uh, Chief Justice John Marshall opined that an act of Congress ought never to be construed to violate the law of nations, if any other possible construction remains. As Coble says, the Charming Betsy was a ship originally owned by an American, but was later sold in uh, St. Thomas to a, a Danish man who sent it on a commercial voyage to the French island of Guadalupe. Uh, the issue before the court was whether the ship was forfeitable under a congressional statute that forbade American trade with France, which at the time had been engaged in the undeclared uh, quasi-war with the United States. The Marshall Court construed the statute narrowly so as not to run counter to international law, which allows wartime trade by neutrals. And Goebbels says, in statutory construction, the Charming Betsy Cannon has been applied by American courts ever since. But it's never been applied as a doctrine of constitutional law. I said if it were, the First Amendment would not exist as we know it. Few, if any, nations and international uh, treaties uh, interpret the freedom of speech or the press or the free exercise of religion as strongly as American courts do. And so Coppola says, if, if we were basing our rights solely on international law, why, we wouldn't have many rights at all. In fact, what, what would the need be for the Bill of Rights if instead our rights were limited only to those recognized by other nations? So that's part one of Amnesty International's amicus brief. Part two, Coppola writes, uh, is the core argument for why international law is said to compel the court to rule that the plaintiffs have no right to be issued a license to carry a firearm for lawful self-defense. And he says the brief offers a hodgepodge of empirical studies, hardly any of which are relevant to the case at bar, uh, such as a study arguing that Connecticut's laws for purchasing handguns are better than Missouri's. Yeah, that, that study, by the way, uh, has some serious flaws. Because they looked at what happened in Missouri after they got rid of their handgun purchase permit law compared to Connecticut's, but they really didn't talk about what was happening in Missouri before the law was repealed. Uh, and they made it seem like, gosh, as soon as that law went away, violent crime started soaring, which wasn't the case. It was not to predicate it on the repeal of the pistol purchase permit, but I digress. Goble writes that many of these studies have nothing to do with carrying guns, but instead involve claims that more firearms possession in any society necessarily leads to more criminal violence. While all of these studies are debatably rights, even if they were conclusively accepted as true, they make an argument against the Second Amendment itself, which, by the way, is not the issue here. The issue is not whether or not gun ownership is a good thing or a bad thing, or even whether or not gun ownership is protected by the Constitution. That particular question has already been answered. But I have noticed that a lot of the folks who are trying to defend New York's law are doing so less with a specific argument about New York and the right to carry, and in many cases, just a general, I don't like the Second Amendment argument. I mean, fine if they want to waste their time and energy putting forth that argument, but I, I have to say, I don't really think it is all that effective. Uh, Coble then says, as for the actual international law, quote-unquote, that the uh, American International uh, Amnesty International's uh, uh, introduction promised, he says it turns out to be rather thin. 
The United States has ratified the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, and has also ratified the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. The texts of these documents protect the right to life, the right to personal security, the special rights of children to protection, and the rights of all people against racial or sexual discrimination. And Amnesty International cites documents from the United Nations Committees asserting that the above documents create affirmative duties on governments to protect people from private violations of their rights. For example, he says, according to the UN's Human Rights Committee, to comply with the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, a government must not merely refrain from killing people. Uh, the government must affirmatively protect people from being murdered by private individuals. Right. However, he says the only documents that are part of American law are the treaties that were ratified by the Senate. Senate ratification has not compelled the U.S. Supreme Court or anyone else to comply with these subsequent declarations by the U.N. bureaucracy. No, they don't. But again, this is where Amnesty International and the United Nations itself came up with the idea that gun ownership is a violation of human rights as opposed to self-defense being a human right. Because, see, if you can own a gun, well, then you could possibly use that gun to commit a violent crime. You could take an innocent life. So, therefore, gun ownership and the allowance of gun ownership is a violation of individual human rights, according, again, to Amnesty International and the United Nations. Now, we can take this a few steps further, right? If it's a violation of everyone's human rights for you to own a gun, what about a knife? What about a bow and arrow? Since we now know that those can be used in mass murder. The idea that as soon as you are armed for self-defense, you're violating the human rights of everyone around you is utterly absurd. But again... It's also a prevalent point of view at the United Nations, which is why we need to make sure that uh, uh, the Senate never ratifies the UN's Armed Trade Treaty and why the Bill of Rights and our U.S. Constitution should never be subservient to some international collection of countries that are happy to have their citizenry disarmed, the better to keep them in check. Uh, I would encourage you to uh, check out Dave's entire analysis of the Amnesty International brief. It, I could barely scratch the surface here. But when I saw this brief, again, the first thing I thought of was Amnesty International. And that uh, spokesperson back in 2005 who declared that a genocide is a better outcome than a civil war. Because it's better to guarantee that people are slaughtered rather than risk the uncertainty that could arise when people have the means and ability and the right to fight back. I, I have to tell you, I growing up, I, I kind of thought Amnesty International was a pretty cool organization. Ever since I have seen, ever since I read that quote, now 16 years ago, I can't think of Amnesty International as a human rights organization at all. Because that, to me, is one of the most basic fundamental questions out there. There comes a point in time where the government won't protect you, where there's a group out there that wants to eradicate this group over here. And the only chance for survival for that group over here, the ones that are targeted for extermination, is to fight back, is for those individuals in that disfavored group to be able to defend themselves. And what is the Amnesty International's position, the human rights organization's position? Better they be murdered. Better they be slaughtered 
then protect themselves. I don't know how you can call yourself a human rights organization after that. All right, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story. Our good deed of the day. And our recidivist report, we will start there with a uh, case out of, hang on here, I believe this is California. Yes, indeed. Uh, Fremont, California, where a man on probation for a robbery conviction is arrested for another robbery. So much for California's gun control laws. Darren McClinton, a 35-year-old resident of Richmond, California, Arrested in uh, Fremont, California, earlier this month when he was uh, located, he successfully, unsuccessfully rather, tried to uh, flee on foot. Uh, Mr. McClinton already on federal probation for a robbery conviction, but he has been arrested again for allegedly committing another robbery as well as a shooting. Uh, He was allegedly one of two suspects who approached a man sitting inside a parked vehicle in Fremont, California, back on September 23rd. Uh, After pointing a gun at the victim, the suspect stole camera equipment from the victim before fleeing to a vehicle. And then the victim and witnesses were shot at by the suspects. Nobody was injured, thankfully. Victim said he uh, believed he was followed by the suspects after taking photographs in San Francisco. Detectives reviewed surveillance video, confirmed the victim was followed from San Francisco to Fremont. Now Mr. McClinton's been charged with attempted murder, second-degree robbery, and other weapons-related charges. Already on probation again for a 2015 robbery. Yeah, six years ago, he's already out on probation. In addition, he has prior arrests for armed robbery, assault, possession of a stolen vehicle, and uh, other stolen property. But given the fact that this is California, I expect that he will soon get a slap on the wrist and be sent on his merry way. Uh, today's armed citizen story from Atlanta, Georgia. I don't think Amnesty International is going to like this one. Homeowner shoots burglar after intruder enters home and grabs a kitchen knife. This was a Wednesday night. Call uh, came in to police about the reports of a burglary in progress. In uh, northwest Atlanta, shortly after 11 p.m., Channel 46 in Atlanta report that the uh, police, a trespasser, had apparently entered through a window of the home, went to the kitchen, grabbed knives, plural, to use as weapons. So he's talking about kitchen knife. I don't think we're talking about a butter knife. I think we're talking about something a little bit sharper and pointier. And that is when the alarmed homeowner shot the intruder, uh, injuring the suspect. First responders transported him to local hospital. He is expected to uh, survive. The uh, Atlanta Police Department says the homeowner and intruder apparently did not know each other at the time of the incident. Uh, The investigation continues, but right now this would certainly appear to be a clear-cut case of self-defense. We'll try to bring any more details as they become available. And again, I I consider that uh, the individual and the suspect, uh, the the, the, uh, armed citizen, rather, in this case, was exercising their human right of self-defense. Whereas, I guess, Amnesty International would side with the guy that broke into the home, grabbed the knives, and uh, threatened the homeowner. Because, I guess, that's not a violation of anybody's human rights. Because there was no gun involved on the part of the intruder, right? So, how could that intruder be violating anybody's constitutional rights? Just because, or human rights, just because they grabbed knives. It's the homeowner who had the gun, who's the real villain here uh, in the uh, mind and theory of the folks at uh, Amnesty International. And uh, finally today, our good deed of the day, from uh, not too far down the road, from where we are in Farmville, Virginia, a couple hours uh, west of us, Roanoke, where a city employee who rescued a child from a roadway has been recognized by Roanoke leaders. I got to say, this one hits a little close to home. Because when I was two years old, 
We had just moved from uh, Massachusetts to Oklahoma. Uh, we had just gotten a puppy. So I'm in my backyard. I'm two. I'm there with my puppy. My mom's inside the house making me lunch. I don't remember any of this, by the way, but I, I've been told this uh, by family members who, who do remember this. Somehow I managed to unlatch the, uh, the gate to the backyard, and the uh, puppy dog and I decided to go on an adventure. We wandered off. Uh, and we were discovered walking down the middle of a four-lane road uh, about a quarter mile from where we lived. I was two. I had no idea where I lived. We just moved there. So uh, the very lovely older ladies who, uh, who stopped me ended up following my puppy dog back home. And, uh, and that's how I got to be raised by my family instead of complete strangers in Oklahoma. Uh, anyway, uh, sort of similar situation in Roanoke, Virginia. John Rowland, uh, given a City Star Award during the Roanoke City Council meeting last week for uh, his good deed. He operates a mowing tractor uh, in the landscape maintenance section of the uh, city's transportation division. It was back on September 22nd when Rowland spotted a, a child on a tricycle just uh, barreling down the street there, right in the middle. And as uh, cars passed by the child, Roland stepped up. He pulled over, uh, moved the child from the road, called police, waited with the child until police arrived. Police then began to search for the uh, child's home after they arrived on the scene. Once they discovered the uh, home, they also discovered that it was uninhabitable. I mean, the conditions there were just awful. In addition, there was another child who was also found inside that home. Child Protective Services were notified. Uh, they are now involved. City of Roanoke said in a uh, Facebook post, Roland helped save two lives that day, both of those children. Thank you, John, for being an example. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. I mean, th th this truly is the embodiment of uh, that phrase. John Roland in uh, Roanoke, Virginia, we thank you, sir, for your very good deed. Now, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. Also want to remind you to check out BearingArms.com throughout the day for even more Second Amendment news and information. It's not just me writing there. We've got my colleague Tom Knighton, uh, John Petrolino, Ranjit Singh, all contributing. And uh, we've got some good stuff there today. We've got some good stuff there every day. But uh, I'm particularly pleased with our uh, content today. Uh, we will be back with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company on Monday, but I promise the website will be updated Friday and throughout the weekend with all of the Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. And if you like what you see, you can become a VIP subscriber. We certainly do appreciate your support. It allows us to do programs like this, uh, but it also allows us to bypass the anti-gun gatekeepers in the media, the, you know, the, the, the Katie Couric's of the world that will lie about gun owners and never get punished for it. Well, we're able to bring you the truth. We're able to bring you the facts because of your support. So again, if you want to become a VIP subscriber, it's really easy to do so. Just go to barryandarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNS and you can get 25% off of your VIP membership. You'll also get exclusive analysis, commentary, and uh, stories you just won't find anywhere else. It's our way of saying thank you. And we really do mean it. Until we talk again, be well. Be safe and be free.